Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, again, a very special welcome to anyone that's perhaps slipped in during the course of the worship. Um, it's lovely for you to be with us as we take this next and final step in this little mini-series that we've been doing, Living uh, with Jesus. And remember, the focus that we've had during the course of this series has been twofold, to look at what was it like for the disciples to actually live with Jesus? What was it like for them? What experiences did they have? What did it feel like? What did they come to expect and hope for? And then to understand, well, we live with Jesus today. He is with us. We believe that by the presence of God, the Spirit of God, He is with us in a way that Jesus even says is greater and better for us now than it would have been for them then. And so what can we expect life to be like with Jesus? And so today, as we come to communion, today's a day when we share communion, I've decided to teach a little bit more fully about communion, which is something we do regularly. We do this once a month for anyone who's perhaps with us for the first time, but it's not something that I often teach in any great depth on. And so I thought this was a, a lovely opportunity to be able to take us a little deeper into the significance of this meal that we celebrate, uh, this, uh, this form of worship that we celebrate every month. And in order to be able to really understand it, we need to understand something of the Passover celebration, which the disciples would have celebrated regularly with Jesus during the time of his earthly ministry. So Passover and the Last Supper, these were lived experiences that the disciples had with Jesus. And in a very real way, which I'll explain in just a moment, in a very real way, we become participants with the disciples in this Last Supper that Jesus has with them. And so we're staying in Mark's gospel. If you have your Bibles, then you're welcome to take them out and open them up. Um, as always, I encourage you to bring your own Bible along. That's fine if it's on a tablet or on your phone. Uh, but it's great to highlight and to scribble and to make notes. And we do have provision on the back of our service sheets if you want to make notes as well. Uh, it might be helpful today to do that. Hopefully, there are going to be some things that are noteworthy to jot down. Okay, so I'm going to pray for us. And then after that, we'll talk through this, uh, through this section of Mark chapter 14. And as we go, we're going to have some extended times of worship. And we're going to share communion together as I teach it through. Uh, because we're going to see that that's actually quite similar to the way that Jesus would have done it as he took them through that final supper together. Right, let's, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Father, I, I thank you for the way that you are shaping us. I thank you for the things that you are opening up to us. I thank you, God, that you are the God of limitless possibilities in the kingdom, that you are the gate of heaven, and by you we come into all the blessing of the kingdom. Thank you that you say that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms 
has now been made available to us in Christ because you have become the door, the gateway, the way by which we can enter in and engage with everything that you ever wanted for us to be able to experience. Your love and your peace and your life and your fullness. And so, God, I pray that as we come to celebrate and to share communion together, the breaking of your body for us, the ripping of the curtain, the opening of that gate that had been locked to us but is now open in Christ. Father, I pray that something would shift in our spirits as we engage with this. Maybe we've done this so many times, some of us thousands of times that we have taken and shared communion together. But I thank you, God, that every time we do it, we're able to do it in your very presence, in the presence of God, that Holy Spirit, you are with us. And so, God, I pray, bring to life this activity. Bring to life this act of worship. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, right. So Mark chapter 14 Uh, and it'll be up on the screen. There we go. Uh, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you to a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as he had told them. So they prepared the Passover. I imagine with a degree of awe that it had all transpired just as Jesus had said. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table and eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We know he goes on from there to Gethsemane to pray, and after that uh, to be arrested and to be crucified. So this is perhaps a scripture and the scriptures like this throughout the Gospels that we are quite familiar with. But in order to really understand it, it's very helpful for us to understand what was a Passover meal like for the disciples and for Jesus in that time. 
how would they have shared and celebrated Passover? Because if we don't know how they would have done it, we don't spot the significant changes that Jesus makes to it. And we can miss the significance of what he is trying to bring in for us to be able to grasp and understand. And so during the time of Jesus, during the time of the disciples, as they would have shared the Passover meal together, it was really designed around four cups of wine, okay? So they had four cups of wine, which separated three significant stages to the Passover meal. And the four cups of wine that would be blessed and would be drunk together signified four different aspects of the promise that God made to his people as he was about to bring them out of slavery in Egypt. And so if you want to jot down the scripture reference, it's Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 to 7. This is where the promise comes from. And this is the promise that are sort of split between these four cups of wine. It says this in Exodus 6, verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And so to begin the celebration of this Passover meal, what would have happened is there would have been the first cup of wine, which would have been blessed and then drunk. And, and this promise would have been recited or prayed through. And it's this part of the promise, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And so the meal would be begun, and the head of the home would take the cup, bless it, make reference to this promise, and then in a sense the meal would begin. And after that we would see all the food would be brought out and put onto the table, and no one would begin to eat though. Because there would be a question that would come normally from one of the children in the home, and they would ask this question, why are we doing this tonight? And why this food? Why the bread and the bitter herbs and the stewed fruit and the roast lamb? Well, what are these symbols of? And then the head of the home would take time to explain that the bread was unleavened bread because they didn't have time to allow the yeast to rise. They had to make it in haste and be ready to go. They had stewed fruit, which was symbolic of the mortar and the bricks that they had to make in Egypt during that time as they were slaves. They had bitter herbs, which was symbolic of the, the difficulty of slavery and the oppression that they experienced. They had the roast lamb, which was to remind them of the lamb that was slain as a sacrifice so that the people of Israel would not die. You might remember the story as uh, the people of Israel were commanded to take a lamb and to sacrifice it and to place the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their homes. And then as the angel of death passed over the whole land of Egypt, they would see the blood on the doorposts. And it was a symbol to say, something has already died. There has been a death in the place of the people inside this home. And so death will not come to this home, it will pass over the house. That's where we get the name Passover from. And so right into the beginning of this meal is this idea of sacrifice so that there could be freedom from judgment and freedom from death. 
And so this would all be explained as they look at the meal and no one has been able to eat it yet, just as you looking and no one has been able to eat it yet. And then at that point, there would be the first set of worship and singing. And during this whole Passover time, they would still sing what was known as the Halil Psalms. And Halil in Hebrew means to praise. It's where we get the word hallelujah from, to praise God. Um, and it was the Psalms 113 through to 115, the first half. They would have sung these Psalms. And then, at that point, they would have got ready for the meal. After that, they would have had the second cup of wine. And the second cup of wine came with this promise, I will rid you from their bondage. And after that, you knew the meal was about to begin because the head of the home would take the bread and they would break the bread and that would usher in the feast, if you like. But it's at this point we see that Jesus makes his first significant change because he now comes and as the bread is broken, he shifts the focus from looking backwards to looking at him. At this point, the head of the home would have usually read this, uh, read this promise. This is the bread of the affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. And yet we see that Jesus changes the words. He says this, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. And Jesus changes the whole focus. He says, it's not about eating, remembering what was done. It's about recognizing you who are hungry, you who are in need, you who are in need of life, come and eat, but not the bread of affliction. You need me in you. I am the bread of of affliction. I am the bread that will be broken, that will be wounded, that will be sacrificed so that the life of God can come now to be in you. And Jesus changes what is perhaps the most sacred of all the Jewish rites of worship, and he makes himself the center of it. And he brings us into this incredible place of intimacy with God, where he says, I am the bread, and the bread is going to be broken. But not only is the bread going to be broken, not only am I the bread, but I actually want you to take this bread that represents me, and I want you to put it into my mouth. Your mouth is a very personal place. People aren't generally allowed there without your permission, are they? Okay? It's a very intimate space. And it's into this, this incredible symbolism. It's that God needs to get into us. But the only way he can get into us is for him to die and for his body to be broken. And so he becomes the bread of affliction that is broken for us so that we can literally take him into us. And the life of God can come into you and come into me. And so if I could ask the welcome team to come up and the worship team to come up, and we're going to do that now at this point. And so I'm going to pray. And as the bread is passed out, what I want you to do is as you take it, I want you to think, imagine what it would have been like to be with Jesus in this first moment. 
as he completely changes the Passover meal that's been celebrated like this for hundreds of years. Do you know what it's like when someone changes the way that you do something? It can be a bit of a shock, can't it? You know, if the, if the order of something has changed, I'm sure that I've probably done that uh, maybe unknowingly, and it's been a shock for people. Now, now, this was a tradition for hundreds of years, and now Jesus comes and says, this bread is me. This meal is now about me, and not just about me. It's about me being able to be in you, and I want you to eat it as a, as a symbol to say, I receive God and his life into my life. Yeah? So thank you, Lord. God, I pray now that just as this bread is handed out and we have this incredible opportunity, Lord, to eat this bread, a symbol of your body that was broken for us, that there would be new meaning for us as we take this bread into us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not the God that wants to be near only but actually to be in us, to be in us so deeply, so intimately, so fully that the life of Christ would be manifest in our lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So feel free to break off a piece and eat in your own time just as they would have done. Now, if we were doing this properly, at this point, we would now begin to eat. And there would be roast lamb, and there would be bread, and there would be preserves, and, and there would be a real feast. Um, and they would take time over it. Um, they had to be done by midnight, um, but that was really the, the only requirement. So you could really set in for a significant period of, uh, of really... Uh, heartfelt and focused eating. Um, unfortunately, we haven't been able to facilitate that. But maybe some of you are having roast lamb for, uh, for Sunday roast. I'm not sure. Perhaps you can now that uh, we've talked about it today. Um, so at this point then, what would happen uh, at the end of that meal? So the, they've had the cup, the bread has been broken, they've now eaten the lamb, they've eaten the bread, they've eaten the bitter herbs. Uh, it would now come to the third cup which would be drunk and would be blessed, the cup of redemption. And so this would now be blessed and would be drunk and would initiate the next phase of the Passover celebration. And this idea of redemption is really important and very significant within the Bible. And it's something that perhaps we don't always understand. It's a bit of a strange religious term, but essentially it's about this. It's about the payment of a ransom to be able to buy back people from slavery. So when you pay a ransom for someone in order to set them free from slavery, and the spiritual significance of that right throughout the Old and New Testament is to be bought back from the slavery of sin. So this is the cup of redemption. It's about being redeemed. It's about being bought back from slavery into sin. This is the sort of significance of this. And I'd like to read to you um, a section from Psalm 49, which helps us to understand the significance of this. So it says this in Psalm 49, No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. 
The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. This is the idea within the Bible that that the debt that we owe because of our sin against God is so significant that in order to be able to ransom us, the, the payment of the ransom in order to bring justice would be so high that not a single person on the earth has sufficient funds and resources to be able to pay it. The debt is too great. Such is the significance of our sin. Sometimes we understand the value of something based on its price tag. Do you notice that? (laughs) So you look at the price and then it gives you an indication of how valuable it is. So you look at the cost to ransom us and it gives you an indication of how significant our sin is. That's what's meant to be taught uh, through this. And so the Bible teaches that, that what we owe is so great, no person could actually ever redeem us. And yet we see that again, Jesus now comes and he shifts the focus of the Passover meal. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, not just for one. My blood is going to be a ransom payment that is so valuable that it's able not only to buy back one or two, but many. In fact, all who would turn to God and receive this forgiveness. He is the blood of redemption, the price to to buy us back. Jesus says, this wine represents my blood. It represents my death. And it pays now the price for you. And so as we come to drink this juice, essentially what we are saying to God and to everyone who is with us that we share this meal with, what we're saying is we recognize we owed a big debt. I'm not sure how many of you have debt, okay? Uh, or how many of you have a mortgage? That's debt, isn't it? And, and how many of you would love it if someone were to come along and say, you know what? I am going to pay all of your debt, if you would like to receive the check, that is. <laughs> How many of you would think, you know, that's the kind of thing that, yeah, there's some people in the front who are saying, yes, please, <laughs> you know, feel free to bring that along. And so what we are saying as we take this cup and drink it, we're saying, God, we recognize we owed something that we were never going to be able to pay. But you have paid it for us. Your blood was shed so that ours does not need to be. And I am receiving the check. I am receiving the grace from God. And I declare to you and to everyone else, I needed that and I've received it and I'm thankful for it. And I receive your grace over my life, this new covenant relationship that I can have with God. So as this is handed out, can we hold on to it? And I just want you to imagine, again, imagine how you'd feel as you open the envelope and in the check was the amount that you owed on your mortgage or whatever, or your credit cards or whatever it is, whatever debt you have. And you would probably just hold it and look at it and think, is this for real? And yet God says, the debt that you owed because of your sin, this is all you need. And it's everything that could have been given. And there is no higher price that could be paid. And yet it was willingly 
given. So freely receive so that you can now freely give. Let's um, hand this out. And please hold on to it. We'll drink together just as a sign of our unity in Christ. And again, this meal is open to anyone who believes what it stands for. You are, you are able to share it. So, Father, we thank you for this payment that was made. The highest price that could ever be paid. The death of God himself and his blood shed for us. That there could be justice and grace that flow together in one marvelous, amazing act of love and compassion and mercy. That we would receive not what we deserve, but what you've chosen to give us. And so, God, we, we say thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the new covenant relationship that we can have with God himself, that we can stand with full confidence in the presence of God, knowing that we owe nothing because it's all been paid, all because of this cup, the cup of redemption, that Jesus, your blood, is now this cup. So thank you, Father. We drink together with thankfulness and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Right, so after, after this third cup, the redemption cup, what would have happened then is there would have been the singing of the second half of the Halil Psalms, and then they would have had the final cup, uh, the fourth cup, which signified the closing and the finishing of this uh, Passover meal. But you may remember that Jesus says something quite significant when he is sharing the third cup. He says, and I will not drink again of the cup of the vine until I drink it anew, afresh, in the kingdom of God. And that's very important for us because what it means is that the Last Supper was never actually finished. They never got to drink the fourth cup of wine. And the reason for that is, that is going to be drunk, this, this promise that I will take you to be my own people, and then, then you will know that I am your God. And that is still to come. And the incredible thing about that is, it means that we have now all actually been included into this final supper, so that we don't miss the final act the moment when Jesus declares it is completely finished, when he returns. And so that's what it means when he says, I won't drink of the cup of the vine again. What he was saying to them is, I'm not going to do the final cup. We are not going to do the final promise because we are in the season now of worship until he comes. That's the significance of that. And so what would have happened is the last part of the Last Supper for the disciples would have been the singing of the latter half of these Halil Psalms. And I, I want to read you some of the words from these Psalms that they would have sung together. And these words and these ideas and these truths and promises, they would have been in Jesus' heart and mind and in the disciples' hearts and minds as he went to Gethsemane to pray. And as they saw him arrested and taken to be crucified, these would have been the, the final psalms, if you like, that would have, would have been ringing out in their memory. And so we have here Psalm 116. 
For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Or Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations, not just the people of Israel, but all the nations, that this redemption cup was not just to buy back those who were in slavery, a few people, but actually for every nation and every tribe and every tongue. Praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 118, the last of the praise psalms. Verse 5. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. And the enemies that, that Jesus were was to triumph over were not just the people who were crucifying, but the powers of darkness that stood against him that he was about to make a public spectacle of through his resurrection. Psalm 118 goes on to say this in verse 17. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. And what does Jesus say? I have become the gate. And all who would come in through me will find pasture, will find rest. He is the gate. And through him and in relationship to him, we become now the gates of heaven by which the love and grace and mercy and life of the kingdom can flow through us into the world. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. And so just as for the disciples, this last supper ended with worship and not the drinking of wine, We are going to end our service with worship and not the drinking of wine. Uh, I hope that that's not disappointing for everybody. So um, if the worship team would like to come up to the front, uh, and we're going to end with this this final declaration of worship. So would you like to stand? Uh, And perhaps at some point in, in our future together as a church, we can do a Passover meal that's a bit more like this, and we can actually have the lamb and the bread and the, and the bitter herbs. So come and let me know if you'd like to help facilitate that and organize that, uh, and we can put that on. It would be very meaningful and special to step into the experience the disciples had, knowing that actually this meal has not been closed. We are, we are living within the season of the Last Supper. And it is the season of worship until he comes again. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.